Hi, my name is Russell Ricks. I'm the author of Remember, A Little Boy's Near-Death Experience. And my experience is rather unusual. Um, first off, um, I want to say that, um, well, I've kind of formed a mission statement. I believe that God gave me the challenges and difficulties and disabilities that I have has allowed me to struggle through those challenges so that I can learn to be more compassionate, more loving, and kind to others with difficult challenges similar to mine or challenges in general. I do believe that we are sent here for a purpose, and one of those is for us to gain experiences and grow for those from those experiences. If there's anything we take back with us after we die, that is one of the things that we take. Those experiences are what we take with us, the things that we learn and how we grew from them. And so many near-death experiencers will tell you that uh, before they returned, they were told they had a special mission to perform. And I believe that each of us do. Perhaps we have many missions, but maybe there's a main mission that each one of us have. And I believe that my main mission is what I had just explained, that I was blessed with challenges and difficulties to learn to overcome those so that I can be more compassionate, empathetic, and loving towards others with similar challenges. God blesses the lives of other people through the service of others. And so he gives us experiences so that we can help others from those experiences. And to start off with, uh, I want to share with you that I was born, born with a neurological disorder. I actually have two main disabilities. One is the severe hearing loss I was born with, and that made communicating a, a little challenging for me throughout my life. It has made that. Uh, I was also born with a neurological disorder called complete agenesis of the corpus callosum. And to put that in layman terms, a genesis means that there is something not right, not normal, or something something wrong with a, a particular um, uh, part of your body. And mine, um, mine is neurological. Uh, the corpus callosum sits between your left and right hemisphere of your brain, and its purpose is to provide an information superhighway between both hemispheres. I was born um, complete a genesis means I was born completely without one, as far as they can tell. And so uh, the corpus callosum forms about 180,000 to 200 million, 180 million to 200 million nerve um, connections to both hemispheres. And mine does not exist, and yet I'm high functioning. How that's possible is while the brain recognized the corpus callosum wouldn't form, it created random connections called probes bundles. And I was lucky enough to have it form strong enough that I'm that I'm high functioning with quirks. And throughout my life, um, even into my adulthood, up until the age of 50, when I finally got an MRI scan to get to the bottom of this, I struggled with communicating with other people. And I couldn't, I prefer to be self-employed. But there has been occasions through my life where I've had to have a secondary job, and I've had difficulty holding down a second job 
until after I got my MRI and was able to get some therapy, then since that time, it hasn't been as challenging. And I'm sharing this with you because my near-death-like experience, and I call it a near-death-like experience, because um, I'm not sure, uh, I did cross the veil, but I'm not sure if I actually died. Mine was more like an out-of-body experience, but it was very, very near-death-like. The traits, the common similarities are there, many of them. So my experience is based off of my struggles with this, these disabilities that I've had uh, struggled with throughout my life. Um, first, uh, before I share that experience, I want to share something with you that happened to me when I was very, very young. Perhaps it was even before I could talk, actually, because I remember how difficult it was for me to communicate with my family when I was trying to ask them, who are these people dressed in white who are coming into our home and, and surrounding mom when she sings to us? My mom had a beautiful, professionally trained high soprano voice. She even sat in Hollywood for a short a few months. Um, and Warner Brothers had accepted her audition, and she was going to go on to be an actress and a, a singer through Warner Brothers. And their voice instructor told her, though, that her acting and singing career had to be, she had to be 100% with that, and her family came second. She had to put her family on the back burner. Mom didn't like that, so she came back home to Idaho, went to Rick's College, met my father. They got married, uh, raised seven kids, and I grew up with our mother singing to us nearly every single day. And for a period of time, I saw people dressed in white who also came from across the veil to enjoy my mom singing. And um, I wondered who they were for many years, and I finally concluded after many years that they were likely deceased ancestors who, who were, my mom's voice was so beautiful, so angelic, angelic that even those across the veil um, were, lo loved to hear my mother sing. So I had that experience. Um, I was probably no more than 18 months or two years old, but I, I know I couldn't say very many words because I, I remember how I struggled trying to get the attention of my family. And it just seemed like I, you know, I, I wondered if they could even see them. They probably could. When I was eight years old, now I'm, I'm a member of a, a, a Christian faith, a, a prominent Christian faith. And in our, in our religious faith, we believe at the age of eight years old, that's around the age when someone becomes accountable for their mistakes. You become responsible. You're no longer in that innocent age. You're, you're growing out of that. Um, this is the age when um, my Christian faith believes that uh, baptism is necessary and not before that. So I, was, I remember having my baptism. And at my baptism, I um, remember feeling some very special feelings that felt peaceful and calm and loving and like a warm blanket and a, a warm feeling in my heart. One night prior to my bedtime prayers, I was thinking, you know, my, my birthday is in July. And because of my difficulty with communicating, my, rec my parents recognized that I was socially behind um, from 
from my peers. I was far, far behind developing socially. And so they held me back. I didn't go to kindergarten. I, I didn't go to first grade when I turned six. It was seven years old. I was seven years old when I went to first grade. And uh, I um, remember thinking um, after that horrible experience in my first grade year, I got beat up quite often. And if I wasn't beat up, I was uh, abused emotionally, made fun of, and, and not treated very nicely. Uh, my first grade teacher would bust, literally bust yardsticks over my head frequently, partly because I'm left-handed and stubborn and I wouldn't switch to the right hand. And, but I had difficulty communicating with people and I seemed to get on their nerves or annoy them somehow. And they would, it, my attempt to make friends would backfire on me and I'd get beat up. And so I didn't want to face another year of that. And um, a few weeks before school, after having my birthday turning eight and I, I had my baptism, I, I tried, I begged my parents to let me stay at home. And they says, no rush, you have to go to school. It's law. I was just terribly frightened of facing that again. So on my knees at bedtime, I was thinking about my experience that I had when I was really young. And I thought, uh, well, my parents aren't going to help me. And if that experience I had when I, when I was an infant was real, when I saw those people dressed in white, that experience that what I felt at my baptism was God, then... God has to be real. And if anyone can answer my prayer, he can answer my prayer. And so I got on my knees and I pled with God. I said, Heavenly Father, I can't face another year of school like this. And I'm begging you to, uh, the only way I can see out of this is either you've got to take me, either you've got to take this abuse away somehow, or the only other option I can see is take me away. And I said, I know it's wrong for me my, to take my life. My parents taught me that we're not supposed to do that. And I don't want to do that. But I know that if you take me, it's okay. So I beg you to end my mission here on earth, uh, whatever it is, and just let me go to the other side where I know I'll be safe. And I climbed in bed in tears. And just before I... Um, Fell, sank into a deep sleep. It was like I blacked out and uh, the room started to spin and my uh, my bed started to spin, you know, that kind of feeling that you're going to have like before you're going to pass out. And the next thing I knew, I was above my body looking down at my body in bed, uh, rest, resting peacefully. And I thought, man, this is weird. How can I be two places at once? This must be a this must be a, a conscious dream or something because that, that's impossible. How can I be two places at once? And so I was thinking I was having this really cool dream, and uh, above me this tiny bright light appeared from a distance, and I felt drawn to it because of the love that I felt coming from that light, uh, like a magnet. It felt like I was being pulled to that light like a magnet. And I was thinking, well, I'm just going to let this happen. I don't want to wake up. So I'm just going to see where this goes. This is really cool. Thinking still that I was having a conscious dream. Now I know I was having an out-of-body experience. Um, and 
I was, it seemed like I traveled for some time, but I couldn't really put a cap on a time frame. There was no sense of time, really. I, I uh, went up through the roof of the house and went up into the stars and past uh, universes and eventually, uh, and many stars, and eventually found myself coming to, to as I came towards this light, I, I saw a planet start to form and they were surrounded by clouds. And as I got near the clouds, they parted like a tunnel. And I didn't have a tunnel experience, uh, like many describe it, but the clouds themselves kind of parted like a tunnel until I found myself coming down into this world, um, this unearthly world. I, I found myself coming into a aspen grove area high on mountaintop, and I stood in a clearing on inside on one end, and the clearing was about 25 or 30 feet radius there was a tiny there was a narrow pathway that organically went through uh, organically straight went through about the middle of the uh, clearing to the other side and beyond the clearing into the thicket of the forest and I sensed that I was in some kind of a, a spiritual plane and at that moment and I felt that that love had in, increased even more uh, that people describe that, that feeling of the love of God. I felt that sense. And at that moment, I realized, hey, my prayers really answered. God really did answer my prayer. And here I am in this beautiful Aspen Garden Grove. And it was like everything, the trees, the grass, the flowers that I saw, everything around me, of all this forest plant life, it was, it was like light from each um, plant life was coming from within. Also, what was interesting was each form of plant life, the grass, the flowers, the leaves on the trees, the, the trees themselves, the, the birds singing, the, the, even the sky, uh, everything was alive and it each had its own vibration and each vibration had its own sound. And if you've ever listened to an instrument called a theremin, which is a glass instrument, and the closer you put your hand to that instrument, um, it, it's an electronic instrument. It creates a sound um, that kind of like, you know, you, you've heard the intro to uh, if you've heard the intro to Star Trek, the old Star Trek series, do, 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 do. it was kind of that sound quality. Um, and then, so each form of plant life had its own vibration and together created this, this um, unearthly, beautiful, not weird, not eerie, but beautiful, um, heavenly, um, harmonious symphonic music and I thought that was pretty incredible and um, the flowers um, and the colors around me um, were colors many colors that I hadn't seen before there were and, and I myself I'm a professional artist I'm a landscape painter I work in oil um, traditional landscape painter and I was really turned on by wow look at these colors i've never seen these before this is really cool 
And to try to, people have asked me, have you ever tried to paint what you saw? Yes, I have. But the honest truth is, is we here on earth do not have the color palette that um, what I saw in heaven um, in this, in the spiritual plane. So it's impossible. But in my attempts to try to create a spiritual type um, image, um, or try to try to create what I experienced. I I try to get kind of a spiritual sense in my work when I'm when I'm painting aspen groves, and uh, whether I did that or not, I don't know. But I I, I think so a little bit. Um, that's about as close as I can come to what I experienced, really, because we just don't have the tools here to create as an artist, what we experienced on the other side. Um, so um, anyway, um, I also, while I was in that um, grove, I experienced the creation. Not only did I, I, wit I witnessed the creation from how it began um, to how the earth was formed and how we were formed. And um, it was like I was actually there. It was like I went back in time and I actually experienced it. And it all happened in an instant. And I was getting this incredible download of information from the spirit. And it just blew me away. And I said to myself as an eight-year-old child, wow, this is really cool. Uh, I mean, I'm smarter than the scientists on earth. I can't wait to go back and tell my family what I learned. Of course, when I was sent back, it was all blocked off, but I couldn't remember the details um, other other than knowing that I had an incredible intellectual, spiritual download experience. And, and um, I also can recall that someone says, well, what, what can you remember from that experience? Well, the creation um, was done by the power of God and it was, it, it was the, um, Faith played a big role. God's faith, God's power and God's faith played a big role in the elements um, being, uh, accepting God's command and doing what God asked them to do um, and to create the worlds that we have and the universe that we have. Now, moving on. So here I was having this really cool experience. And uh, but yet. And then I thought, well, I'm going to walk down this path to the other side. And, and I, I had a sense that I had to return. I, it was like I, I knew that eventually I would have to go back. It was like I, was, I, I, felt, I felt a distinct separation from my body and my spirit. I knew I was there in my spirit form in, in, in that grove. But yet I still felt a connection. And, I, and, and the best way to describe that is... The, the conduit back to my body was still there. Uh, and I, I sense that that meant that I was not assigned to death, that this was temporary and I would eventually have to return. And I thought, well, I just put that out of my mind. And I thought, well, I'm going to explore and get as much out of this as I can before I do have to go back. Cause this is really cool. So I start walking down that pathway in the grove, in the clearing. And just before I stepped into the thicket of the forest on the other side of that clearing, um, I uh, got this really strong 
I heard this voice uh, in my mind that said, stop. If you go any further, that's the point of no return, and you'll have no choice but to go back to mortality. And I didn't want to go. I wasn't ready to go. And I just knelt down inside that clearing and leaned against a stone that was to the left side and in front of a tightly grouped cluster of aspen trees um, and just began, leaned against that and began to sob. And um, a few moments later, I felt this touch on my right shoulder and this voice um, behind me said, Russell, what's the matter? Why are you crying? What's wrong? And I thought, well, who is this? Who is this that knows my name? And I turned and uh, to my right, and I saw this personage with white hair and white beard, neatly trimmed, and a robe um, down to just above his ankles and just above his wrists on his arms. And um, the thing that, and his voice was gentle, and yet, uh, full of authority it, it was so gentle and loving and full of acceptance and I looked into his eyes and I was just really um, really enthralled by his eyes um, The uh, his eyes as, as my eight year old description the way I described it was his eyes appear to be on fire and yet they're not um, and when I say that, I don't mean like hot coals, hot red coals. It was like um, a, it was like glistening jewels. Um, and uh, you know that that light that comes off of the uh, diamond. Um, and but uh, uh, as he looked, into my eyes and we spoke as we, we spoke to each other it was through our minds not with our mouths he could read my soul and i allowed him to do that because i just felt total acceptance and love and immediately before i saw i noticed the wounds in his palms and his wrists and his feet immediately i, I before i noticed those wounds I knew who he was. It was my savior, of course. And uh, he reached down to pick me up and take me to his arms. And uh, um, as he reached down, he bent over. I could see I could see the wounds in his wrists, and his robe fell open enough that I could see the wound in his side. And as he as he picked me up into his arms, he uh, we. Um, I don't know how to describe this, flew or, or transported is a better word. We transported into the atmosphere above um, to a city in clouds in the, in the, dis in the distant sky above us, a, a city of light in clouds. And again, we traveled for some time, no sense of time. And actually the whole experience seemed like it was days or weeks maybe. Um, but really no sense of time. It just just seemed like a long period of time. And yet it happened the whole of the night, basically. Because when I returned, uh, it was daylight. We traveled to the City of Light. And as we drew close, it appeared to me, it looked like the buildings were constructed of gold. 
um, a heavenly gold material of some sort, and the wall around the city and the and the street were paved in gold. And uh, two buildings look very familiar to me. Um, one, um, by the way, I'm a Latter Day Saint, uh, the Church of, from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Some people um, call refer to us as Mormons, but that's a nick that's a nickname that non-LDS gave us. Our real the name of the church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. So one building looked like a temple that uh, it looked like a building that resembled the Salt Lake Temple. The other one looked like the old Pioneer Tabernacle adjacent to it. Right now, both of them are under construction, but these two were very familiar buildings were very familiar to me because coming from Idaho, when we would travel down south, we would often stop at, uh, at the LDS Temple Square. And uh, this became a fun family tradition for us. And I enjoyed going there. Well, this these were symbolic of something that meant something to me. Now, I, I want to say this, that I believe that you know, each of us who have near-death experiences, we come from all walks of life, um, different religions. Um, some are not religious at all. Some are raised in um, atheist backgrounds. Um, and uh, I believe that when God, but we all have these experiences um, across the board um, as the researchers have, have done their research, um, they've discovered that uh, People from every walk of life have near-death experiences, and and even though they come from these different cultures, these different traditions, there are many, many similarities in a near-death experience. Um, and instead of seeing Christ, they might see Muhammad or Buddha or something like that. You know, you know what I mean. Um, so um, uh, I believe that God takes each of us where we are at. Uh, our background, where we grew up, what we understand, what we what we understand spiritually or believe spiritually, and he takes that and gives us an experience, a, a, a near-death experience. So that is why they're varied in that way, even though there are similarities that line up, that, that makes that shows that this person had a near-death experience also because everybody has these common similarities, many of those or some of those. So in my case, being a Latter-day Saint, this is how God communicated with me. So he took me into the building that was like the Mormon um, Pioneer Tabernacle, and we sat down on a pew, and he said, okay, Russell, let's talk about it. What's bothering you? What's wrong? Um and he put his arm around me and, and pulled me to his side, wiped my tears with his sleeve. And uh, I said, I know I'm supposed to go back, but I want to stay. This is my home here. Why can't I stay? I love it here and I'm safe here. And the Savior says, I know, Russ. I know how you feel, but, you know, you have things that you need to do. Um, and... Uh, and he says, because of what you did here before you were born, um, you are very blessed. And he proceeded to tell me that I would be a, a, a father. And by the way, I have 14 children. I have seven biological children and seven stepchildren. And no, I'm not a polygamist. 
I'm remarried, so we have a blended family. So I am very blessed in that way. And he he proceeded to, and he and it was almost like I was having an experience before I was born. He said, you're going to be born into a family with good parents that will teach you about my gospel. And, and he says, you will come to believe in the scriptures and have a strong faith in God and, and in me, Jesus Christ. And uh, also, uh, you will believe in the prophets of old and prophets of modern day. So you're going to be born into this wonderful family. And, and I, I believe, so here I was having an experience in the present with Christ and in the past, you know, kind of at the same time. So I, I was kind of experiencing both. And I believe that each of us, before we come to earth, we are filled with so much anxiety. Perhaps we were given lessons of what it would be like on earth and some of the things that we experience, some of the challenges that we would have. But we would have to experience those in a physical body, which we had not experienced yet. And so I think we, each of us were feeling quite a bit of anxiety before it was our time to come to earth. And so before that moment we were born, I believe that God himself gave us a personal interview to comfort us. Um, one last little bit of, hey, you can do this, you know, kind of like thing before we come to earth. And so here I was re-experiencing that. So he made several promises to me and reassured me. I said, but, but what if when it is my time to go back and I do die, what if I've messed up so bad that I'm not worthy to come here? I'm here now. I was just baptized. My slate's clean. Why can't I stay? And the Savior laughed and said, Russ, I've taken care of that. That's why I died for you. And I willingly did that because I love you and all your brothers and sisters. And so it's taken care of. All you have to do is be a good boy, follow me, obey my commandments, and everything will be fine. You'll, you'll be okay. Just hang in there. And... Uh, he says, I'll see you again. And then after making several promises to me, I, I took confidence in what he shared with me. And he says, it's time for you to go back. Are you ready? And I said, yeah, I guess I'm ready. And he said, but before you go, I want to make, make one last promise with you. I promise you that I will always be by your side and throughout your life. And from time to time, I will personally send messages of my love to you and let you know that I love you, that I'm right there. And you know what? He has done that. I'm, I'm 64 now, and I've had many, many experiences where the Lord has, has definitely kept his promise. And when he makes a promise, he will not go back on it. And... Uh, that is what's kept me going throughout my life, despite my difficulties. But fortunately, after, after I got my MRI at the age of 50, I was able to get therapy, and the therapist worked with me for a couple of years to teach me how to communicate. <laughs> Literally, here I was, 50 years old, and I did not know how, and they taught me. And now my children, my stepchildren, my wife, and, and others, my friends, my siblings, they all tell me that I'm doing much better. So I, I hope so. And when I hold down, a, when I do a part-time job, 
or a second job, I'm able to do that uh, successfully. So the Lord has blessed me enough. Um, so um, then this, after that experience, the Savior took me back to that grove where my experience basically began and placed me down on that path. And we gave our last embrace and kisses kissed each other and then then uh, i walked down that path to the other side of the clearing and it got darker and darker and darker uh, as i walked past that clearing and then i woke up in my body um i didn't really experience anything other than just waking up and you know some people might say oh you just had a dream but why did I have an experience that was so similar to a near-death experience? Because I would think that if it was a dream, it, it would be more random than that and, and not as not so much clarity. And, and would I feel the love of God like I did? And I knew nothing about near-death experiences. This was 10 years before Raymond Moody's book, Life After Life, came out. Um, well, almost 10 years. I was born in 58. I was eight years old when the experience happened, so it was 1966. I think his book came out in 75. And so all I really had to rely on was to try to understand what happened to me. So, but 10 years later, um, I found, I discovered Raymond Moody's book, and I, I read that, and then I read Life After Life, and Betty Eady's book, Return, or Embraced by the Light, and many others after that. And I thought, well, what wait a minute here i didn't die or at least i don't think i did and yet i had this this experience very much like a near-death experience why why did this happen and uh, you know i uh, then um, after my first marriage ended i was married 15 years and i moved to utah from idaho rexburg idaho where i grew up um that was in 97 a couple years after that, I discovered this group called IONS, and there was a local chapter in Salt Lake. And uh, I discovered that they were sharing experiences, and I found other people that had a similar experience. And so I started going to those and realized more and more that, hey, you know, this really did happen to me. And now researchers say that they, they call what happened to me, even though I had an out-of-body or spiritually transformative experience. I mean, there's lots of labels that people put on that. Um, even the scriptures call it caught up by the Spirit, carried away by the Spirit, caught away by the Spirit. Um, uh, whatever label you want to put on that, uh, now I know that what happened to me was definitely authentic, and it wasn't just a dream. It was definitely inspired, and... Uh, uh, God's hand has definitely been in my life. And so when I returned as a little boy, the abuse that I suffered at school still continued, but I had one thing um, that I didn't have before, and I knew that God was with me. There's one thing that I was blessed with is that feeling that I felt in God's presence, that love of God, that indescribable peace and love and joy, overwhelming joy that you can't put into words. That stayed with me for 
many months after my experience, 24-7. And I believe that God allowed that me to keep that feeling as I was readjusting. Um, and that kept me going, and that gave me strength, and I knew that God was there. And um, I've had many experiences where um, here and there where God has let me know, and most of those are really too sacred to share. Um, but I do know I acknowledge God's hand in my life and that he loves each of us. And one thing, one more, one last thing I'd like to share. Um, you know, I, I wrote a book and I debated whether I should make it public. Um, but uh, there was something inside me that just kept urging me, you've got to write this. You've got to do more with your experience than you've done so far. And I shared it with my kids. But that was pretty much it, and a few other people here and there. But uh, I didn't I never shared, didn't share it with everybody because you know back then people thought you were a kook, and so this was something very personal and sacred. But when the prompting kept urging me, I finally decided, well, I better write it down, and I started writing the script, and I approached a, a publisher, and. Um, as I wrote, wrote a little bit more, I would come back to the publisher and they said, well, you know, maybe this will make a book. And uh, then oh, about a five year period, one day, they, uh, you know, as I was just about to say, no, I'm just going to write it down and have it for my posterity. That's it. They called up and said, we want to sign a contract. And I had been praying, asking God for an answer. We decided that was the answer. So we went forward. Again, my book is called Remember a Little Boys and Their Death Experience. And on Amazon, there is a file there there is a file that calls it Remember a Personal Promise from the Savior. That was the original name, but last minute before it went to press, they changed it to Remember a Little Boys and Their Death Experience. Or you can order it on uh, cedarfortpublishing.com. Um that's or for me. <laughs> and uh anyway. Um, one, one last thing, if you're interested in my artwork, you can go to russellricksart.com. That's R-U-S-S-E-L-L-R-I-C-K-S dot com. Thank you. I enjoyed sharing my experience with you. And if you 